If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. So, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. Uh, should be about three quarters of the way through your Bible. Um, and we're going to start to unpack this Christmas season. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to spend uh, the next four Sundays and then Christmas Eve kind of camping out on the idea of the gift of Christ, this gift that we've been given in the person of Christ. Um, and uh, in the weeks to come, unpacking how he is the perfect gift. When you think of the, of the, uh, the offices, so to speak, that the Lord gave his people in the Old Testament, the offices of prophet, priest, and king, Jesus is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And that's what we're gonna be unpacking as we study the book of Isaiah in the coming weeks. So really excited about that. Um, but I wanted to take a minute now just, just to read a, a passage of scripture that probably most of you are very familiar with. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's very fundamental to the core of the Christmas season from Luke 1, 26 through 38. And it's when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her that she is going to have a son. So here's what it says. In the sixth month, by the way, the sixth month there is a reference to, sorry, I won't do this the whole time, but you need to know this. The sixth month is a reference to uh, the angel came earlier to uh, a woman named Elizabeth uh, and told her that she was going to have a son as well who would grow up to be John the Baptist. Uh, So she is six months pregnant when the angel visits Mary. So that's what the sixth month is a reference to here. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's Pregnancy. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, illuminate your word for us this morning. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to be shaped by what you're telling us and showing us through your word. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So when I was a little kid, um, growing up, I grew up in the, in the farmland of Indiana, uh, and I, ha- I lived on a, a gravel road where 
during the, uh, during the planting season of the year, the harvest season of the year, I couldn't see down the road because there was corn. But during the, during the fall, when the, when the tractors would come and take it all down, it was this flat, barren plain. And I could see a mile down the road to the major road that our little gravel road connected to, and I could see little cars moving up and down. And my grandparents, my nana and pop-pop, would visit us uh, every Christmas. And I remember as a kid very distinctly just sitting in that, in that living room window, watching out the window as these little cars were moving by, and seeing the one that would slow down and turn on our road, and then this plume of dust would begin to gather on our road, and that would be the sign that Nana and Pop-Pop were coming. And this was every year. It was just, it was something that we looked forward to, and the reason we did, because we wanted to see them coming down the road, because we wanted to be able to meet them in the driveway to help them bring in the stuff, which involved a, a giant cheese wedge-shaped orthopedic pillow uh, and lots of presents. And we wanted to carry in those presents so that we could have that first moment where we could, you know, shake the present and try to see what it was and also just gauge how much uh, there was going to be. And they always, you know, they did that thing where they would call my parents and ask what do they want. And so they'd always bring these great gifts. The, the presents from Nana and Pop-Pop were, were wonderful to a kid. They were wonderful, which is hard to achieve, right? Because kids are picky. If a grandparent gives a kid the wrong gift, the kid says, thank you, and then moves on to something else. But, but Nana and Pop-Pop usually were zeroed in. Well, when I was about, I want to say nine or ten years old, they gave me a gift that was clearly a book. You know, when a book is wrapped, you can tell. It's a book. It's got that feel of a book. And it was the size of a photo album. And I thought, this is a photo album. And I opened it up, and sure enough, it was. And I began to flip through it. And what it was, was it was a photo album that was filled from front to back with these old black and white photos, some of them 100 years old. And these little slips of paper, handwritten in my nana's hand, telling me who the people were, around what date the picture was taken, and where. And it was this history of the last century of that side of my family. But I'm nine years old. (laughs) And so this is the most boring present I think I've ever received in my entire life. I don't know any of these people. The pictures aren't even in color, you know? And so I muster up the best thank you that I can give, put the thing aside, open another present from my mom and dad, and it's this shoebox full of Raiders of the Lost Ark trading cards, like almost a complete set, and the Empire Strikes Back trading cards, almost a complete set. Now we're talking. These things are double-sided. They're from space, some of them, you know? And, and, and so I have these two gifts, right? This black and white photo album from Nana, and then these collector's trading cards of Raiders of the Lost Ark and, 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 uh, and Empire Strikes Back. And I have to tell you, before that day was over,
I got to looking at that photo album and thought, you know what would look good in that photo album? <laughs> These Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark cards. So, I took every scrap of paper and every photograph out of that album, put it in the shoebox that the Indiana Jones cards came in, put the Indiana Jones cards in the photo album. And then I put that shoebox in my closet and forgot about it. Until, how many of you are mad at me right now? I did this until my mom said, we were talking about some relative, and she said, yeah, we'll get the photo album. I'll find a, I'll find a picture of her. And I was like, yeah, about that. Um, <laughs> I, I took it, I, I, they're in the shoebox, and she looked like I killed somebody. What was going on here was that I had been given a gift from my nana of inestimable value. As I stand before you today, that shoebox ended up on my closet floor and our house flooded and they're all gone. They're gone. I don't have them anymore and I can't get them anymore. They're gone. But she gave me this gift that as a boy, I I looked at it and I thought, I don't understand what value this holds at all. But what Nana understood was, this is your story. I'm telling you your story. This is your history. You need to understand this. Oh, that I could go back and see those pictures and see the the cars in the backgrounds and the way that the people dressed and and, and these things that were part of my, my history. They're just gone. And we're like this, aren't we, with gifts? Where we've been given gifts in our lives that have been precious to the giver But to the receiver, to us, we've thought, eh, it's okay. It's okay. Christmas is that way, where God has given us a gift. It's a gift that is telling us our own story of something that we need to know to understand who we are. And often, our honest response to it is that we think, it's all right, But we find a better use for it than to let the season that we're in right now actually hold what it's meant to hold. So a lot of times we'll take the contents of the season out and replace them with other things and kind of forget about that. Christmas is about a gift. There's no two ways about this. It's about a gift that God has given us that we fail to understand. And it can be so ordinary to us. It happens every year. The music is the same. The decorations are the same. The stores are the same. Everything's the same. We get into it. And if you're, I mean, if you're honest, how many of you are like me and you just think, yeah, in a way, this is a season that I look forward to just getting on the other side of so that things will calm back down. I'll have my life back. I'll have my calendar back. I'll have my schedule back. Christmas is a burden to us. But God has given us this gift. And it's an extraordinary gift given to very ordinary people. And we think we know what there is to know. But we have this season now to say, Lord, 
give me fresh eyes to see what you've given. And so we start at this place where we have this young girl, Mary, who gets this visit from this angel. And what he tells her undoes her. She didn't know all that there was to know. And she didn't pretend to, but she knew that the angel was bringing her a message that she, 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 she understood, okay, this is changing everything. This is important. When you think about Mary, the Virgin Mary, put away the plastic nativity on the courthouse lawn, Mary. And imagine her. She's a teenager probably, maybe 15 years old. She's grown up in a small, out-of-the-way town that isn't really a town that you brag about being from. She's a townie. She's got a boyfriend who has this dubious honor of being of the line of David, but is poor and blue-collar. Living in this out-of-the-way town, he has a royal lineage, and yet none of the benefits of that. And they're going to get married. So you have this picture of people whose lives are simple. Their lives are honest. They're working. They're working toward a life that they could live out together as husband and wife. And then the angel comes and interrupts this in a way that is dramatic. The angel tells her something that leads to this young couple living as fugitives for a time. They have to hide from Herod. Not only that, but it's not just that they're fugitives from the Roman rule, but now they also kind of have this implausible story to explain to their friends and relatives about why she's pregnant when they're not really yet married, and their answer is, well, God did this. I mean... The angel is fine with that story. The Lord is fine with that story. But what relative or friend is not going to say, "Mm mm-hmm. So their reputations are in question. They're fugitives. They get in these suspicious questioning looks about their virtue. And then when they have the baby and they present him in the temple, there's an old prophet there named Simeon, a man who's been in the temple waiting for him, and he receives this baby. He says, oh, Lord, you can take your servant now. Let me depart in peace. My eyes have seen the Messiah. And while he's singing this song of praise, he turns to Mary and he says, because of this baby, a sword is going to pierce your soul. This is an important life-altering event in Mary's life. But it's not just that. It's a history-altering event that God is doing something. And there are three things that stand out in this story that God is doing that I want us to, to just take a little bit of time to unpack to get the sense of this gift that God is giving and what he's giving. Mary has found favor with God the text tells us, and so she shouldn't fear. And the gospel is coming through that God is drawing near to man in a relationship that is whole, 
that redemption is taking place, that God is not pushing her away, but he's drawing her to, and he's interacting with them. And here's the things that God reveals. In this story, we see, first, there are things that God knows. And then second, we see that there are things that God then does. And then third, we see, and then there's the power behind his action. But what does he know? The first thing that we see that he knows in verse 30, the angel says, do not be afraid. God knows she's afraid. She's afraid of heaven and earth colliding. She's afraid of this visit from this angel. She's afraid of the news that she's hearing from this angel. And the angel says, don't be afraid. And then he reveals something else that the Lord knows. He says, do not be afraid, Mary. He knows her name. Do you believe that the Lord knows your name enough to use it? Do not be afraid, Mary. This is intimate. The Father is being intimate here. The other thing that we see that God knows in verse 28 is, is God knows his affection for Mary. He says, you're favored by God, the angel says. God's, God's not wondering how he feels about this one who is afraid, whose name he knows. He knows that he loves her, that she's favored. But then in verse 34, she says, I don't understand how this can be. How can this be? God knows her confusion, too. And I know in this room that there are many of you who cannot make heads or tails out of what is going on in your life right now. You don't understand. You just don't understand. You're thinking 2010 was supposed to go differently than it's gone so far. There were supposed to be doors that opened that got shut. There were supposed to be relationships mended that now are just more broken than when they started. I was supposed to be able to have a measure of victory over this pattern of sin in my life, and it seems like if I'm not just the same, I'm even worse now. And that's confusing. What? I don't understand. I don't understand, God, when you tell me not to be afraid, when you call me by name, and you tell me that I have favor in your eyes, I don't understand why you're approaching me this way. God is revealing to her. He's not impatient. He's not impatient with her confusion. He's not impatient with her fear. In verse 31, he says, you're going to have a son. God knows her future. He knows what's coming for her. And it's not a guess. It's going to happen. The beauty of this is that in this conversation between the angel and Mary, the angel is the only one who knows her future. Mary doesn't. And the will of God, his capacity to do what he wants to do in the life of this young girl has nothing to do with her capacity to understand it, with her capacity to get her mind around it. God is the one who is working and his will doesn't require her to understand it. And that's beautiful. He knows your future. He knows your future as well as he knows your name. 
as well as he knows his affection for you, as well as he knows what you're afraid of and where you're confused. He knows, he knows, he knows. And then he knows the brokenness of the world in which they live. He's instantly talking about a king and a kingdom. Why would the angel be coming to proclaim a new king and a new kingdom if it wasn't that the old king and the old kingdom was just broke? He knows the brokenness of the world. My heart is heavy right now with what's happening in Korea because it's this symbol to me of how fractured our world is. And it breaks my heart even more to know that it's almost offensive for me to call it a symbol when for so many people it's not a symbol, it's every day. My heart is heavy over the TSA screening process right now because of the brokenness in our world that it speaks to and the things that people are enduring because of it. God knows the general brokenness of the world, the things that break your heart. And then last, he knows what we need. He knows that we need a Messiah. He knows that we need the King who will come. And this is the gift that he promises. Have you ever been surprised by a gift that maybe it wasn't you know, the same price as Alexis, but it was special because it was for you in a very particular way. And you're overcome and overwhelmed by the, the thought and the worth of the gift as the giver is speaking to the receiver. I love you, and I got this for you. That's what Christ is for God's people. It's not arbitrary. He knows we desperately need this. And you know what? We don't. Not to the degree that the Lord does. We don't understand the depth of our need in the way that the Father does, who is sending his Son. And he's sending him anyway. So he knows all this, our fears, our name, his affection for us. He knows our confusion. He knows our future. He knows the brokenness of the world. He knows what we need. But it's not enough for God to just know this. If he's just saying, I know all that stuff, that that doesn't help us at all. We see that he's responding as well, that he's doing something about this knowledge. And it's elaborate when you think about it. There's, I I don't know if it's comedy in scripture or not, but He says, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. And Mary says, how, since I'm a virgin? And here's the answer. Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born and will be called holy. Is that an answer (laughs) exactly to the question of, you know, how is this going to be since I'm a virgin? And the answer is, essentially, God's going to do that. And nothing's impossible for God. God is going to act. And what you see is Mary moves from this posture of uncertainty and fear to this place of, all right, then let it be to me as you've said. Do what you're going to do. How does Mary know that God can do this miracle? God has given her exhibit A in Elizabeth, her cousin, 
Elizabeth is an old woman who's been barren her entire life. She's married to a priest named Zechariah and they've been trying to have a son. They haven't been able to. And the Lord sends an angel to visit them and says, you're gonna have a son, John the Baptist. And when she says, how can this be? The Lord is going to do this and also look at your cousin Elizabeth because she's six months pregnant right now. God is in the business of miracle births. But even still, all this that God knows and God responding doesn't quite get us to the place where our response to this should be worship. Because what if he can't actually do it? You know? What if he knows all this and he has a plan, but it's a long shot? That's where the text kind of finishes up with us. That it's not a long shot. Christmas is not an almost near miss even. This is God hitting dead center in the middle of the target. He says that this son is going to reign. He's going to reign over the house of David and over the people of Jacob in a kingdom without end. He's got that kind of authority, that kind of a power. So God knows what we need He responds to that need by saying, I'm going to send a son, and the son that is coming is the one who has this power who will reign forever and ever and ever, world without end. Hallelujah. So there's this intimate encounter between Mary and Jesus in this story of Christmas. And here we sit in 2010 in Nashville, talking about gifts that we haven't understood the worth of, talking about this old familiar story And nothing has changed, brothers and sisters. Your fears, he knows. And he has given you what you need in his son. His affection for you, while you may be confused about that, he is not. He is not. He has given you his own son. If you know his affection for his son, you know something of his affection for you because he gave his son in your place. That was a big thing I just said. And he knows your confusion. He knows the things that are... He knows what is responsible for the holes in the drywall in your home. He knows where you're hurt. He knows where you're scared. He knows... where you're just barely hanging on. He knows. He knows this. And he knows your future. And he knows your name. And everything that you need, past, present, and future, to be with the one who has made you and loved you and called you to himself, he has given you in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. And we celebrate his birth at Christmas because we celebrate an incarnation. God taking on flesh to live in our place and to die in our place and to rise from the grave. So Christmas is about so much more than a birth. But without that birth, 
the story loses its power. You have been given a savior by a God who knows your fear, your confusion, and your name, and his affection for you. I pray that your celebration of Christmas this season would be marked by your worship of Jesus. Pray with me. Father, I know that throughout the ages people have looked for the angle on what made Mary so exceptional that God would choose her to bear your son. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see that what makes this story so exceptional is how unexceptional Mary was, how like us she was in her fear, in her confusion, in her upbringing, in her circumstances. Lord, we thank you that you have brought our Redeemer, our Savior, our Messiah into the world through such extraordinary circumstances and yet using such ordinary characters in that story. Father, I pray that you would tune our hearts to sing your praise this Christmas season, that you would blow our minds with the gift, that you would, uh, that you would cause us to be people who linger over these pictures of Christmas that we see, that we wouldn't just flip through this album of images that we feel are so familiar, but that we would be people who would stop to look and behold what the story tells us, what the pictures show. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray, and for your glory. Amen and amen.